I'm a t-shirt guy. So when we travel, uh, correction, when we used to travel, um, I am always on the lookout for a t-shirt, not just any t-shirt that has the name of wherever we happen to be visiting, but a t-shirt with a piece of art or a drawing or a picture, something that captures the spirit uh, of the place. And um, if I don't find a t-shirt that does that, I simply, I, I just won't buy one. And uh, last year, Ron and I had the uh, great privilege to visit Alaska. And, uh, and on this trip, it was uh, kind of amazing because found two t-shirts that I like, which is uh, kind of pushing it for me, uh, but found two, shirt, two t-shirts. And then the year before in Israel, first time to Israel, what a trip that was, uh, Rhonda uh, went out on a limb and bought a t-shirt sight unseen for me while we were there. And uh, she brought it to me, and she said, I know you're going to love this. And I said, well, this is different. Uh, she normally doesn't feed my addiction like this, but, uh, but this time she brought me a T-shirt, and you know what? Yes, she nailed it. I have it here. I have it here. And Weston's going to put it up on the screen as well so you can see it a little bit better, but... but uh, this, I think this is my favorite t-shirt of all time, and it's kind of a mosaic, and it says Tab, Tabga, which is an unusual name. I'll talk about that in just a little bit, Tabga. And uh, as you see this mosaic, you see that this mosaic is, is telling a story. Yeah, it's up there. Good job. Thank you. Yes. So, uh, and thank you back there, too. Yeah. We're, uh, we're getting our act together, aren't we? So um, I'm going to be talking a little bit about Tabga and the feeding of the 5,000. Tabga is a site uh, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, uh, right by a mountain. And some people believe that that's where Jesus fed the 5,000. And the reason why it's so closely associated with it is that um, a few years ago, a church uh, that had burned down over a thousand years before. When the church burned down, a layer of ash covered the floor. And when they excavated that and took the ash off, they saw some beautiful mosaics, and that drawing was there. What you're looking at is a, a mosaic on a floor of a church that over 1,700 years ago was built. And that was put, so that site is located uh, on the Sea of Galilee, and a lot of people associate it with the feeding of the 5,000. And uh, when I say feeding of the 5,000, I'm going to put that in air quotes, feeding of the 5,000. We'll talk about that in just a little bit as well. Let's ask the Lord to bless the reading and the teaching and the preaching of his word. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would take uh, the words that I believe you have given me, in preparation for this message and that you would speak to us and that we would hear your voice almost as clearly as those 5,000 men heard your voice that day on the side of the Sea of Galilee on that mountain there. And we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's look at our first focal passage now, John chapter 6 verses 1 through 4, 
John chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And if you're new to us, you may hear us say from time to time, hear the word of the Lord. And then the passage of Scripture will be read. And then we will sum up by saying, or I will sum up by saying, this is the word of the Lord. And your response at that point should be, thanks be to God. Because what we're doing is we are pointing out that even though this is the preaching of His Word, we know that His Word is without error. And we are going to pay special reverence and attention to His Word. So John chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, hear the Word of the Lord. After this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. A huge crowd was following Him because they saw the signs that He was performing by healing the sick. Jesus went up on a mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. This is the word of the Lord. Now when you look at all the different passages that talk about this miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, uh, you can look at them in several different ways. And you, when you're thinking about what is the message that the Lord has for me to bring to you today, we could concentrate on the miracle itself. And in Sunday school today, we talked about the miracle quite a bit. We could look at the miracle itself, or we could look at the miracle helpers, the disciples. Because the disciples had a role to play, and there's a little boy, uh, maybe about Brooks' age, maybe, maybe Browder's age, there's a little boy, he has a role to play. So we could look at the miracle, we could look at the miracle helpers, or we could look at the miracle worker himself, Jesus Christ. But first, let's look at the miracle. Uh, several things that begin with H, strangely enough. Uh, the first one is hangry. Over the years, we've had a lot of events. Uh, church suppers, backyard barbecues, uh, get-togethers. Sometimes we just have friends and families over, engagement parties. The one thing we don't ever want to be in these events is short on food. If you are a one or a two on the Enneagram scale, if you care about planning, if you want to be hospitable and friendly, you do not want to run out of food at your event. And it bears pointing out the very first miracle that Jesus worked was to help somebody who was very much concerned about hospitality and running out of wine at a wedding. And Jesus' mother came to him and she was concerned that they were about to be embarrassed. And Jesus worked a miracle, his very first miracle, the very first sign there at the wedding at Cana. And everyone knows that if you schedule an event for Baptists, there will be food involved. Unless maybe you're in time of pandemic. Could this be the end of the Baptist potluck? Probably not. When people are hungry, they often get cranky. And so some, sometimes we put the word hungry and angry together and we get the word hangry. And Jesus knew that if those people were hangry, they weren't going to hear his message. And he had a message for them. He had a special message for them that he wanted them to get. So he didn't want them to be hangry. The second thing I notice about the miracle itself is that there are huge crowds. This is probably, if you were graphing the growth of Jesus' crowds and how the, the numbers were increasing. This is probably the high point of Jesus' ministry. There are so many people 
coming to hear Jesus and to be a part of what's happening. I also see that somebody is hassled and harried. Even though Jesus was intending to rest, if you look at the Mark passage, we see that Jesus was hoping for a time where he could withdraw and rest and pray to the Father. But he didn't refuse anybody. As a matter of fact, he sees the crowds coming. And he could have had the disciples to head them off at the pass, but no. He starts leading the disciples through how are we going to address this situation. He welcomed everybody, no matter how he felt. Spiritually and physically, Jesus was exhausted. And I can tell you that ministry can be exhausting. And if that's you, if you're in the ministry and you're serving and you're exhausted, know that Jesus knows how you feel. How many times in the gospel do we read that Jesus just wanted to withdraw to a quiet place and talk to his father? You know, there are a lot of things that you may not know about this miracle. It's, we we kind of know something about it. But did you know that the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle that's listed in all four gospels? This is it, the only one. You can find it in Matthew 14, Mark 6, Luke 9, and then John 6. And each gospel writer gave us a slightly different perspective of what's happened, what happened at this miracle. And we value that because these are four eyewitness accounts. These are people who were there who saw what was happening. And they weren't alone. There were 5,000 men who saw what happened here as well. This is the most observed miracle that Jesus performed. And we mentioned Tabka a little bit earlier, where some people think that the feeding of the 5,000 took place, but we really don't know exactly where it took place. And when I say 5,000, sometimes I put it in quotes because it was a whole lot more than 5,000 people that Jesus fed. This miracle was top-notch. It was way up there because you know if there are 5,000 men There's got to be 5,000 wives there to take care of the men because how could they have got there in the first place? Uh, They're not going to ask for directions. And then if there are 5,000 men and 5,000 women, who's watching the kids? So I'm figuring the grandparents are coming as well. So there's a lot of people. There's probably 12 or 13,000 people that Jesus fed. We were talking in Sunday school this morning about the time of the year. This takes place during the Passover, a great time to be outside If you're in the Holy Land, it's the best time of the year, April, May, somewhere in there. And so the weather was nice. There was green grass on the slopes of the mountain there. And it also took place really when a lot of people would have said, no, I'm too tired. I just can't do this. But Jesus leaned into it. Sometimes this miracle is so well known that we have a tendency to look past it and to miss the message of the miracle, but I encourage you today, don't miss the message. So we could focus on the miracle itself, or we could focus on the miracle helpers, the disciples. Look at John chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Hear the word of the Lord. So when Jesus looked up and noticed a large crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? He asked this to test him. For he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. 
One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? This is the word of the Lord. The disciples had a big problem on their hands. Thousands and thousands of people are gathering to hear Jesus. Logistically, the situation is becoming worse minute by minute. The time clock is ticking. What are we going to do? Jesus saw the gathering storm of people and he put the question to the disciples, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? The disciples doubted. They didn't understand. They were logical. They were focused on the problem, not on the one who could provide the solution because Jesus is the answer. This is one of the great miracles of the Bible. 5,000 hungry men. Just imagine, what if 5,000 people showed up for worship today? And they stayed, and they stayed, and we realized we're going to have to feed them. Hmm. Imagine ordering 5,000 deep dish pizzas. That would cost a lot, wouldn't it? Suppose we had to feed 5,000 men and their wives and their families today, right here at Blackman Baptist Church. Can you imagine? There would be some scrambling. I know some ladies in the church who would be absolutely freaking out. But it's getting later and later in the day, and the people are getting tired and hungry, maybe some of them even hangry. And the local Slim Chickens is closed for renovations. (laughs) The nearest McDonald's is in Jerusalem, and Pizza Hut doesn't deliver to this location because we're out of their range. Plus the budget. Don't forget the budget. We did not budget for this. And even if we had, there's not enough money for this. So the disciples make a very practical suggestion. Send them away, let them find food. That's logical. I don't believe that the suggestion was made from bad motives. I believe that that suggestion was made because it's the only thing they could think of. In in themselves, the disciples had almost no resources Almost no resources to meet this enormous need. They had no food. They had no money. What else could they do? They really could do nothing. But the key word here is that they had almost no resources because they had the greatest resource of all, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ was with them. The disciples didn't see 5,000 men. They saw 5,000 problems. Ray Pritchard said this, most of us would have reacted in the same way. We're quick to see what we can't do, quick to talk about what we don't have. And I've been guilty of this myself. The disciples saw the crowds, realized their own inadequacy. Somehow, somehow, they forgot that the Son of God was right there with them the whole time. And it's easy for us to say, wow, man, those disciples are so dumb. But we do the same thing. We forget that we have the Holy Spirit in us. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I will be with you in your midst. Now, a common application of this miracle is that God uses us even though we don't have much to offer. Little is much when God is in it. Our labor is not in vain. We've got the little, don't we? We got the little part down, cold. 
Before feeding thousands of people with only five loaves and two fish, fishes, Jesus called his disciples away to rest, proving that he doesn't need our frantic ex- exertion to accomplish his work. Jesus doesn't need us to accomplish his work, but he chooses to work through us. I love that he asked Philip, what are we going to do? Stories told of Sir Michael Costa, who was conducting a rehearsal in which the orchestra was joined by a great chorus. And about halfway through this session, with trumpets blaring and drums beating and violins singing the rich melody, the piccolo player, and the piccolo's about a a half-sized flute, sawed-off flute, the piccolo player muttered to himself, what good am I doing? I might as well not be here. No one can hear me anyway. So he kept the instrument to his mouth, but he made no sound. Within minutes, Sir Michael cried out, stop, stop, where's the piccolo? It was missed by the ear of the person who needed to hear it the most, the conductor. And I think it's much the same way with us. We don't really think that we're making a difference. We don't really think that anybody hears what we're doing when we talk about Jesus. We don't think that anybody sees what we're doing when we serve him. But you know, the Lord sees. The Lord hears. And I love how Jesus pulls the disciples in here. Notice how he quizzes the disciples. Where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? He didn't say, where will you buy bread? He said, where will we buy bread? By including himself in the question, in the equation, Jesus was communicating to his disciples that he was right there with them. This problem of feeding the masses was Jesus' problem too. And I don't know what your problem is today. I assume you have some. But it, it has occurred to you, I hope, that Jesus knows all about your problems. He knows all about our problems. And he is right in there with us. You know, when I think about some of the problems that I've encountered in years past, I'm embarrassed to report that sometimes I don't even think about Jesus at all. It's all about how am I going to fix this? How am I going to solve this? How am I going to answer this? You know that song, No, Not One? No, not one. Part of the lyrics go like this. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. None could heal all our soul's diseases. No, not one. No, not one. Listen to this. Jesus knows all about our struggles. He will guide till the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. You know, Jesus knows that we're a bit shorthanded right now. That uh, we could use help in the nursery, at Sunday school. That uh, when J.J. and Laura come to church, they never quite know if J.J.'s going to be teaching the teens, if Laura's going to be with the, the babies in the preschool. And poor J.C. And J.C.'s going to go wherever we need that extra body. Jesus knows that. And of course, Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do in that situation. You know what? Jesus knows exactly what he's going to do in this situation as well. 
Jesus knows exactly what he's going to do here at Blackman Baptist Church. We are being tested. So when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? He asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. What's your test? I talked to you a minute ago about your problems. I assume you have problems. Do you know those problems are in the form of a test? Has it occurred to you that Jesus is using those tests to develop you, to bring you closer to Him, to show you that He has the answers, to teach you to rely on Him? Think about your problems. Jesus is with you in the midst of your problems. He may very well have sent those problems to you for a lot of different reasons, but I can promise you this. Jesus is testing you. He knows what you need. He knows when you need it. And he's testing you. I think Philip's answer is both logical and typical. He's looking at the problem through human eyes. In essence, Philip is saying, Jesus, if we were going to buy enough food for all these people, it would probably take about four or $5,000. But even if we had that, not everybody's going to have a lot. Everybody's only going to have a little. Philip's answer concentrated on what they didn't have. Andrew's answer is a little bit different because Andrew's answer uh, concentrates on what they did have, which wasn't much. But they did have five loaves and two, two small fishes. Verse 8 says, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. By the way, what would it be like to be Andrew? Always second fiddle to Simon Peter. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they? For so many. Even Andrew's answer is laden with the realization of that the little that they had would not be near enough to feed the masses massing in front of the master. So we can look at the miracle, we can look at the disciple workers, or we can look at the miracle worker himself, Jesus. But before we go to Jesus, I just want to say one thing. Jesus is with us right here in the middle of this crisis, this problem, this COVID-19 thing. And Jesus is testing us. He's testing you. He's testing me. He's testing us as a congregation. And I trust that this principle that Jesus is with us in the midst of our problems, I trust that this is both challenging and comforting. John chapter 6, verse 10 through 15, hear the word of the Lord. Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Ah, there's the voice of authority. There was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. The men numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also with the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they were full, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they collected them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this truly is the prophet who is, come into, who is to come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Let's focus on the miracle worker. We looked at the miracle. We looked at the miracle helpers. But let's look at the miracle worker, Jesus. Jesus cares 
for our physical and spiritual needs. I see that the master knows what's going on. Did you catch that phrase there? When they were full, Jesus knew that they were full. Did you catch the fact that Jesus sent the disciples out to get the leftovers? Jesus observed that there were leftovers. Jesus knows what's going on. The master knows what's going on in your life. You can rely on him. And the master is in control. You can rest in him. The master knows his dependence on the father. Do you see that the son of God, God himself, stopped and thanked his father for the provision of bread. He knew his dependence on the father and we should know our dependence as well. He was thankful to the father. We should be thankful as well. And the master knew what they needed and he gave them what they needed. I shared with JJ a couple weeks ago, we will always have exactly what we need to carry out the Lord's work. And we should use what he gives us. And the master cares about the smallest details. We talked in Sunday school today, one basket of leftover bread, no fishes, AJ, because the fishes aren't going to keep. But bread, useful. And each disciple has a basket of bread. Judas was carrying a basket too, by the way. But the master cares about the smallest details. I, I once heard a well-known preacher say, God doesn't care whether you, whether you buy a red truck or a blue truck. And at first I thought, well, you know, that's, that's probably true. But as I prayed through that, and thought through that, I think he does care. I care if Weston drives a white car or a blue car. Why do I care? Because I care about Weston. And if it's bothering Weston, it bothers me. And if it's a red truck or a blue truck, does God get down into the details? You better believe he does. He cares about leftovers. He cares about inventory control. We talked about that as well. We got to be good stewards. Do you remember the Togba shirt? Remember this? You see the two fishes. I know it's kind of hard to see. But do you see the bread up here? Do you notice something about the bread? you notice something wrong about the bread, perhaps? Well, the story says that there were five loaves, but in this illustration, there's only four. And so the question is, did the artist make a mistake? When they were putting the mosaic together, did they run out of pieces? Why are there only four loaves of bread here instead of five. It's been suggested that the artist had a better understanding of this miracle than most of us do because the fifth piece of bread represents the bread of life. Jesus says, I am the bread. If you eat of me, you'll never be hungry again. And as Sam mentioned in Sunday school today, they said, give us this bread so we won't, we won't have to be hungry again. They didn't get it. He was there with them the whole time. It's like the woman at the well who said to Jesus, give me something, give me this water to drink so that I'll never have to thirst again. I'll never have to come here. She didn't get it either. And so many times we don't get it because we miss the message of the miracle. The missing piece in anybody's life who does not know Jesus is the bread of life. And you will never be satisfied without him. He's the focus of the miracle. The message of the miracle 
is Jesus Himself. When He said, I am the bread of life. Don't miss Him. Let's pray. Lord, how often we get hung up on the problem du jour. And there are always problems. (laughs) I'm reminded that You told Your disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, don't worry about tomorrow. Today's got enough problems. And sometimes those problems overwhelm us. Especially when, when we're in the midst of a great big problem that, that we've never encountered before. It's so easy for us to get our focus off of you, the miracle worker. You, the Son of God. And so easy to focus on the problems around that we feel like we have to fix. We feel like we have to solve. And I pray, Lord, that uh, we would maintain the proper focus on you. That we would remember that you are with us in the midst of our problems. And that you are the answer to those problems as well. And we pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.